It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's program, Frozen in Iceland. What are the chances of getting your offshore savings back? Planning your pension, is there an alternative to buying an annuity? And we have some good news and bad news about hedge funds and small cap shares. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form. With the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And this week's special guest, Nigel Barlow from Just Retirement. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. For the savers who have billions of pounds in offshore Icelandic banks through savings accounts and their pensions, there appeared to be some hope this week. Uh, The UK and Iceland are now hoping to agree a loan of up to £3 billion to cover British depositors, allowing the Icelandic government to meet its share of compensation payments owed to savers with IceSave, with the remainder covered by the UK Financial Services Compensation Scheme. But what about savers in offshore divisions of collapsed Icelandic banks? Accounts in Landsbanki Guernsey and pension money in Kalpthing Singer and Freedom Isle of Man accounts, at least as of Thursday this week, were not covered by deposit protection schemes. However, there may be some good news from the Isle of Man, which is proposing to protect UK investors with money in self-invested personal pensions, or SIPs. Alice, this is sort of changing by the day. But what could the situation be if you've got your money in a pension that invests in an account in the Isle of Man? Well, there's been some confusion over this because initially the Isle of Man government said that it was only going to cover individuals up to £50,000 and not over £50,000. So that's already different from the UK. Um, And then a question was raised over exactly this case, people with SIPs in the UK, but who had put the cash into an Isle of Man bank account with Kaupthing, Singer and Friedlander. So that was very controversial. But then this week, the Isle of Man government has said that it is going to provide some compensation for these cases, but only up to £20,000. So people are still a little bit unhappy about this, and there are calls for the UK government to do something about this. Because if you were an individual who had a savings account in the Isle of Man, you'd have the £50,000 limit. But because your money is held via a SIP, it's going to be lower. Yes, it's this distinction that the Isle of Man government has made between individual accounts and non-individual accounts. And because your money is held through a pension which is held by a trustee, that is then treated as non-individual. So you'll only get the 20,000 as opposed to the 50,000. 
And how much money are we talking about or how many people are affected by this? Well, the figure currently going around is that there are, there's 840 million in the Kaltzing, Singer and Friedlander Isle of Man bank account. What we don't have is a breakdown of individual versus non-individual within that. And we've also been hearing from a number of readers and listeners who have money in other offshore accounts with Icelandic banks. What's the situation with some of these other jurisdictions? Well, the situation in Guernsey is quite serious because Guernsey has no compensation scheme for depositors. So people who saved with Landsbanki Guernsey are getting no official compensation, although the administrators have said that they will get £30,000, but that's obviously going to leave a lot of people losing a lot of money. And it'll, it'll take time, I imagine, for the administrators to be able to release these amounts of money to individual savers. It will take time, yes, and, and for the time being their funds are locked away and they can't access them. And of course for savers in Jersey, they do at least have a deposit protection scheme uh, which is run by the, the, the Jersey administration. But I suppose lots of people, people will be confused um, by the, the sort of blanket guarantee that uh, the Chancellor gave for savers in ICESAVE, for example, but those who weren't based offshore, those who were sort of going through the, the UK arm, they still have their money frozen, effectively, though, don't they, in ICE-save accounts. Is there any more news on that? Uh, no, they do still have the money frozen, and but the government has said that it's going to fully compensate them, so it's going to go over its official limit of 50000 So that's great news for them. But there's a lot of people are very upset about this offshore situation because I think there's a certain perception that if you were saving an offshore bank account, you were doing it for tax reasons. But it's really not that simple. A lot of these people were UK citizens who didn't have a UK address. They were based abroad, so they had to open an offshore bank account. So you can understand there that they feel rightly upset that the UK government aren't stepping in to help them. And is there anything they can do? Um, are, are any of these savers sort of getting together to to try to take action over this? Yes, there are a number of pressure groups. There's a special pressure group for the Isle of Man, Kalpthing Singer and Friedlander, and there's a separate one for Landsbanki Guernsey. They have a number of members. They've got their own websites as well. And they've been, uh, this week in fact, they went to Parliament to try and discuss the matter. And they're hoping to hear some good news. Whether they will or not, I can't really say. Well, obviously we'll um, keep following this story and uh, give uh, listeners and uh, readers all the latest on uh, changes to deposit protection that may at least um, allow them to get some of their money back. And if you'd like to know more about the current situation, you can, of course, read Alice's article in FT Money in this weekend's FT or go online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come, we have some good news and bad news about hedge funds and small cap shares. But first pension annuities. And Alice, you've been looking at uh, annuities and pension planning for the last couple of weeks. Yes, I have been looking at this area. So what we've been seeing is that amid the ongoing market turmoil of the past few weeks, the government has come under increasing criticism for its policy of forcing people to buy a pension annuity by age 75. The problem many retirees face is that the value of their pension funds has eroded dramatically this year. Since the beginning of this month, the FTSE 100 has lost 17% of its value, and over the year to date it has lost nearly 40%. 
So people approaching 75 who have not yet taken an annuity are being forced to buy one at a time when their pension pod is significantly reduced. And those who do not buy an annuity on retirement are automatically moved into what's called an alternatively secured pension, which only allows a maximum income of 90% of the current annuity rate. So I'm here with Nigel Barlow, who is a retirement specialist at Just Retirement. Um, Nigel, can you explain, if you were coming up to 75 and you were trying to make the choice between an annuity and, and this alternatively secured pension, what might what might affect your decision? Uh, well, there are a number of things, not least of which is your uh, is the size of your fund. Um, people with small funds probably won't want to take the risk or be able to afford to of doing anything but buying an annuity. Um, but those with larger funds um, do have the flexibility of not buying an annuity at age 75 simply by, well, entering alternatively secured pension, uh, leaving their fund invested and drawing an income within the two limits set by the government. Now, the limits are 55% to 90% of the income that you would get with an annuity, is that right? Uh, Roughly the income from a single life annuity, yes. So why would you want to do this? Why would you want to have less money? You're only getting 90% of an annuity, you could have 100%. What's what's the the attraction? Um, Well, it may allow you more flexibility in terms of income planning. There may be some benefit in terms of uh, flexibility of income planning or tax planning. In some cases, alternatively secured pension, one of the reasons it was introduced um, was to cater for people with specific religious beliefs who object to gambling on life expectancy. Those were the the Christian brethren, the the Plymouth brethren. Currently, uh, some people may wish to go into alternatively secured pension simply so that uh, they can wait for their fund to recover. Um, obviously there is a risk that their fund won't recover in a reasonable period of time and they'll end up actually worse off. Okay, so uh, so if they had um, a depleted pension fund right now and they went into ASP, then if their fund recovered maybe next year, they could then buy an annuity with a higher amount of pension and, and then get a better income? Certainly with a higher fund, yes. Um, obviously over that period they're going to be still exposed to investment risk and the risk that annuity rates, which are quite competitive right now, will fall over the year. And there's another big attraction with the ASP, which is the death benefit situation, whereby you are actually allowed to pass some of your pension down to children or grandchildren on death, which isn't the case with an annuity. Can you explain how that works? Yes, in effect, your your fund can be um, transferred to members of the same pension scheme on your death. So if you have no obvious dependents, such as a spouse, then your fund could be transferred. But at the moment, there are quite penal unauthorised payment charges and scheme sanction charges, which could actually mean that the the effective value of the fund is reduced by something like 82%. So anything that you have remaining on death, your children or grandchildren would only see 18% of that? Something like that, yes. Mm. And not all pension providers offer this service, do they? I think some are reluctant to offer ASP is that right? Well, yes. From a provider's point of view, if you, uh, if you are subject to too many scheme sanction charges, then in theory the uh, HMRC uh, can remove, remove your approval to write pensions business. And since a scheme sanction charge will apply on transfer, this could mean that they could have their approval to write pension business removed completely. Okay, so anyone thinking about going into ASP needs to make sure that they're with a pension provider that's happy to to offer them that service. Yes, and to take careful advice. Okay, Nigel Barley, thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you, Alice. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news on funds of hedge funds and private banks. Now, Ellen, just last week, you looked at uh, funds that have achieved a positive absolute return in falling markets by sort of mimicking the way certain hedge funds uh, behave. So that's that's got to be good news for, for investors, surely. Well, it, it's it's relatively good news. I mean, of course, th- their returns are not tremendous. Effectively, absolute return funds are a retail version of a hedge fund. They um, the, their use of leverage is more limited, but they can also take advantage of shorting. Um, and they're sort of a poor man's opportunity to take to access uh, hedge fund strategies. Uh, without taking all of the risk, and they've some of them have actually performed fairly well. I mean, you do have some absolute return bond funds that have seen a positive return since the start of the year. You know, maybe they're only up three percent, but at least they're up at a time when you know the FTSE 100 is down 32 percent in the 12 months to to October. So you have to see that as an achievement. But you know, if you compare that with the hedge fund sector, um, you know they're returns have been hit by redemptions and their inability to access the same amount of leverage because the banks, you know, they can't get funding from the banks. So there's, it's sort of a tale of two cities. Alice, looking at the the bad news for actual hedge funds as opposed to these absolute return funds, um, how bad has the performance of some of these been? Well, on average, the the figures aren't good for funds of hedge funds this year. None of them has made a positive return. Not this a single year. fund of hedge funds. Not a single fund of hedge funds has made a positive return this year, which is pretty dramatic stuff. Given that these uh, these were supposed to produce at least a kind of a, a non-exciting positive return, um, some of them have been extremely badly hit. But what we're seeing is this difference in the investment trust sector, because most fund of hedge funds are investment trusts. So you have this difference between the share price and the actual value of the investments. Now, what's interesting is that the share price falls have been much, much bigger than the actual value of the investments. Now, what that means is that a lot of the drop in value is purely affected by investor sentiment towards the sector. But the actual value, the real value of the funds isn't as bad. So analysts are actually seeing some value in the sector. They're suggesting that if you buy into one of these funds now when the share price is at a huge discount to the actual value, you could see quite a decent uplift in time. So it is also being seen as a buying opportunity for some funds. Okay, so it could be some some better news then for uh, funds of hedge funds in future. Um, Just turning to the small cap sector, we've seen lots of bad news there. I think the the FTSE small cap index is is down 24% in the past month, which is uh, even more than the FTSE 100 index of uh, large cap shares. Is there any good news that either of you have detected among the small cap sector? Well, there is some good news. I mean, savvy investors are are starting to say that there's value to be found in small caps because they're about to undergo a period of consolidation. So, yes, you know, in the last 12 months, the small cap uh, sector might have lost 43%. But, you know, you might see shares rise dramatically when this takeover activity takes place. So it's definitely an area where investors should uh, take a look. And are there any particular sectors where analysts are expecting a lot of takeover activity and 
therefore investment opportunity? Well, here you'd have to investigate the oil and IT. They would be your first two bets. Uh, you have a fall in the oil price um, that's likely to uh, spur some interest in consolidation. Um, stocks such as Gulf Keystone, Volga Gas, Rift Oil, Falkland Oil and Gas, and Gold Oil have seen their share prices rise by 25% and more in the past 10 trading days. So that's that's a positive indicator. Uh, and then in IT, you have this the software provider Macro4 has confirmed that um, a company in California called Unicorn Systems is uh, looking over its books and is accumulated 16.4% of its stock, which definitely definitely suggests it's looking to um, to a possible acquisition. These are good signs for small investors. And finally, Alice, I mean, are there any small caps that seem to have a particular defensive quality that might hold up better in a in a recession? There are a couple of companies that people are looking at. One is Begbie's Trainor, which is the UK's largest corporate insolvency practitioner. The other is Albemarle and Bond, which is a pawnbroker. So two companies there that are really benefiting from the effects that we're going to see with the recession and with companies being hit. Yes, both those companies may be rather busy in the next 12 months. Well, you can read more about small cap shares and indeed our analysis of the funds of hedge funds sector in this weekend's FT Money. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Ellen, Alice and Nigel. Goodbye. 